Good morning, friends. So I'm Jen Fisher. I'm the associate pastor here at Forefront Brooklyn. And this morning, I want to ask you guys to start off with me and just doing a simple little meditation, okay? Might make you a little uncomfortable if you're not used to doing this, but just try it out with me, okay? Get comfortable, and I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Take a deep breath. Take another one. Feel yourself sitting on the chair. Notice the ground underneath your feet. Now I want you to move inward for a moment and picture yourself in a boat on a really calm body of water. Maybe there's a specific image that comes to mind for you. Maybe it's some place you've been before. Maybe it's some place that you could only imagine. But allow the water around you to be completely still, placid, serene. And invite your mind to let go of whatever you're holding on to from this week. Just embrace the peace of the water, the serenity of the air around you. Like a lake, if the water is constantly churned up, it's going to be murky and you can't see anything. But when the water is still like this, you can see all the way to the bottom. I want you to hold on to that image for a moment. Let yourself anchor deeply in it. And repeat to yourself the words of Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And when you're ready, you can take another deep breath. And you can open your eyes back up and join us in the room. Hopefully you can kind of hold on to that image, that peace that you found in those couple of minutes. There's a picture on the screen behind me. This is the image that comes to mind for me whenever I do this. Sunday mornings are this really significant time in my life. Over the last five years, I've spent 95% of my Sunday mornings with all of you. So when we do get away for a weekend or longer, how I'm spending my Sunday morning is very intentional, very aware of it. And perhaps the most sacred and special way that I've spent a Sunday morning was on this lake in Ireland back in 2014 in a little boat with my husband on our honeymoon. We first had to wait for the fog to literally lift up off the water, which is what's happening in this picture, and it revealed these beautiful blue skies and this crisp, perfect autumn day. And we got in our little boat with the motor and did a little fishing and a little reading, and we had a picnic on the boat of um, cheeses and meats and fruits that we bought at the market the day before and we took our little boat across the lake and docked in a little Irish village and got out and got a pint and got back in and we stayed on the water all day long and watched the sunset before we, we docked and finished up for the day. And it was probably one of the most perfect days of my life. So when I think of a calm, serene body of water, I think of the lake like that. I think of Lake Michigan, where I spent summers as a teenager. These places that hold on to really special memories for me with people that I love, right? 
And since it's the peak of summertime and I'm watching all of us on social media posting pictures about all the incredible beaches and the splash pad and the pools that we're going to, I thought this was kind of the perfect way for us to relate to this story today. Because it's a very human thing for us to be drawn to or mystified by or or, um, intimidated by these large bodies of water in our world, right? And they can hold a lot of, of memory or significance for us. And I think for Jesus and his ministry, this is something that maybe we can relate to because a lot of his ministry was done along the shores of a body of water called the Sea of Galilee. Some of the first and last events of his ministry actually occurred along those shores. Jesus lived in Capernaum for a little, uh, for a time. He called four of his disciples from the professional fishermen on the sea. He uh, performed one of his, one of his biggest miracles was feeding thousands with loaves and fish along the seashore here. Uh, at the end of his ministry in his resurrected body, he cooked fish over a campi- campfire along the shore, which I think is one of my favorite Bible stories because he was just sitting there enjoying the campfire with his best friends. And I think it's probably my favorite setting of all the Bible stories. He performed a lot of miracles along these shores, but two of his most dramatic ones were on the water itself. Um, And both of those stories are, are told through three of the four gospels. The first one is when Jesus walked on the water and the other is the one that we're looking at today, Jesus's encounter with the storm. Whenever we find a story in more than one of the Gospels, I think it's always important for us to note, because we can learn a lot by looking at how each author tells it, what overlaps, what's similar, what's different. Each author is writing for a specific audience with a specific intent, and so each one, each Gospel, is calling us to consider who Jesus is and what his relationship is with God, what kind of man he is, identity questions like that. But I think the way that each expresses it and the way that uh, each audience that the author is writing to experiences the impact of who Jesus is can vary and can teach us a lot for ourselves as well. So for example, the Gentiles that Luke is writing for would understand the impact of who Jesus is very differently than the Jewish audience that Matthew is writing for. Because the Jews have this strong cultural and religious background where they have an expectation of a coming Messiah. They know the criteria and um, the ideas behind what he's going to do and who he's going to be and how you can recognize him. And all of this ties into who, who Jesus is to them and how they're going to experience his impact in the world. It might be very different from someone who's a Gentile who doesn't have a sense of faith, who doesn't have a religious background, right? And is learning who Jesus is for the first time. I think we can relate to this, like, let me give you a really simple example, actually. Just when your family members ask you how your day was, the way you respond to them is very different than when your boss asks you how your day was, right? Or how about when your therapist asks you how your day was? The way that we tell our stories changes based on the audience we're speaking to, the relationship we have with them, and the impact, the reaction that we want to get, right? So, I want to encourage all of you guys to go and check out this story in all three of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, this week on your own. And go take a look for yourselves what, what's the same and what's different. I'll make a few references to it um, as I keep talking. But today I want us to sit in the story as Matthew tells it. So let's go back and read it again, what Jonathan just read for us. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you a little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. 
So right off the bat, right? Let's note the contrast between the disciples who are scared to death and Jesus, who's not afraid at all. In fact, he's sleeping. (laughs) The whole reason they got into this boat on this occasion occurs in verse 18, when Jesus, showing his humanity, says to his friends, oh, let's just, I need a break. Let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side of the shores where hopefully there won't be as many crowds, as many people touching me and asking them to heal them. Like, I just need a minute. He must have been exhausted, right? I can totally understand why. So he's really tired. He's sleeping through this whole thing. I know that if I was one of the disciples, if I was in that boat, I would be an anxious mess. I have never liked storms, and being on a boat during a storm, forget it. The Bible teaches us that the sleep of a believer should be sweet and peaceful because we trust in the Lord. Psalm 4 says it simply, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Isn't that cute? Isn't that nice? Nice. Yeah, I just, you know, I envy somebody who can sleep when they're anxious, when they're worrying about something, because Lord knows I cannot do that. And I am sure that the disciples were not thinking to themselves in the midst of this panic, oh, Jesus doesn't seem to be worried, so okay, well, I guess we won't be either. No, that's not how that works. They were freaking out, just as I would have been as well. And so what does Jesus say to them, though, when, when they wake him up? He rebukes them. He yells at them. In all three gospel accounts, it says that he yells at them, and he says, you have little faith. Why don't you have enough faith to stay calm, is what he's asking. Now, to be fair, if we follow in the context of the Gospel of Matthew, just in in this Gospel alone, at this point in the story, by chapter 8, the disciples have seen Jesus um, take unclean spirits out of people. They've seen him heal numerous people. They've witnessed some really serious events that should very much inspire their faith, yet they haven't quite gotten to the place yet where they can believe that they're going to be all right because they have Jesus in their boat. Also, to be fair, though, the storms on the Sea of Galilee are known for being something really fierce, okay? They're violent, life-threatening storms that can come up all of a sudden. If you do a little research, you find out that it's because the wind's coming off the mountains, mixing with the sea air, blah, 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 all that. The Sea of Galilee is actually the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's 700 feet below sea level. And in 1992, they recorded 10-foot high waves. So when it's saying that they're, they're going to engulf the boat, you know, this is ancient old fisherman boat thing, right? Like, that's got to be some scary stuff. I think the disciples were right to have some anxiety about the situation. But what I also want us to keep in mind is the audience that Matthew is writing to. Remember, it's this Jewish audience, Jewish believers that he's trying to reach. And the cultural context behind that, Matthew is very aware of. Because as a good Jewish reader, an immediate theme would pop into your head when you hear a story that's set on the sea. Water goes way back for the Jews. In fact, it goes throughout scripture, but starting all the way at the very beginning, Genesis 1, verses 1. I'll read it to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Formless and empty, okay? The Hebrew word used to say that is tohu vavohu, also meaning waste and void or chaos and desolation. This formless, empty void. God, by his word, takes these chaotic waters and forms order. He forms the world out of them. God is the one who, by his word, takes chaotic waters and calms them. Let's take another look at another example. Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, my soul, Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent, lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. 
He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messenger, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. All right, so once again, we see this example of God controlling the weather and the waters. In fact, he rebukes them, right, and calms them. Okay, one more, Psalm 134. Praise the Lord, da 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 keeps going, and then says, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Okay, so what are we getting from all this? That God is presented as the one who is in charge of nature, right? There are a bunch of other texts that we could look at that all show these same themes, but the point is, that for Matthew's audience, for good Jewish believers, the sea is a place of chaos. So here they are in the midst of the storm and whether you're the disciple on the boat or you're a reader reading this, you're gonna associate that panic, you're gonna feel and understand that panic and then Jesus stands up and he calms the winds and the waves by using only his words. The connection to the scriptures for a good Jew should be immediate based on the creation narrative and the Psalms and the Hebrew texts that they know so well, they're reminded that God is the one who's able to order creation with his words. And so for Jesus to stand up and calm the storm and the sea and immediately, that's gonna call to question, is Jesus God? Thus the sentence that ends each count of this gospel story, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? We're only in chapter eight. They don't have the whole story yet. So what kind of man is this? Is he the Messiah that we've been waiting for? Do you recognize that this word that orders the storm is the same as the one that ordered the world? The gospel writers recognized it. That's why they asked those questions. Who is this? What sort of man is this? The winds and the seas, they obey him. He calls out even the roughest storms. Is he the Messiah? Is he God? You know, Jesus calms not only the waters, but he also calms the minds of the disciples who are chaotic. And I think while he's capable of calming both nature and the individual, I think for us today, probably the more relevant one is that he can calm the individual mind, right? I think what Matthew's trying to get across for us are a couple of things. That there are those disciples who will listen to Jesus, but for whatever reason, they won't get into the boat, right? I mean, think about it. Most of these guys are from a professional fisherman's background. They're from this region. They know a thing or two about the storms on the sea. Perhaps the waters were already choppy when they got into the boat with Jesus. Either way, they knew the risk they were getting into. They also knew the miracles of what Jesus had done and was capable of performing. And yet they're panicking, right? They're in this moment of anxiety and they're saying, Lord, wake up. In Mark's account, they actually, they actually say to him, don't you care that we're dying? I mean, how often have we been one of those disciples, right? We've been so taken care of, so loved, so safe in the past, and yet we struggle to remember, I'm gonna get through this too. I always make my rent, even though every month I panic that I'm not going to. I am loved, even though I'm so afraid that I'm never gonna find someone to marry. Whatever it is, we sit in those moments of fear and panic overtaking us, letting the waves overtake us, right? It's so difficult for us to just remember and rely on the good things that Jesus has already done for us, right? But then there are those other disciples that we all look up to and, you know, and, and are kind of in awe of those who can step into circumstances that they cannot control and be this, this source of peace and grace through all of it. The gospels are obviously pushing us to be the second kind of disciple, but it's difficult. 
I think I learned a thing or two about stillness while not being in control when I was pregnant. And I know that all my stories are about motherhood right now, but deal with it, that's where I am. Um, <laughs> for me, um, in the, the early weeks of being pregnant with my son, I was especially anxious because we'd struggled with pregnancy before that. And um, I was really nervous about it all and filled with grief and anxiety. And I had to put a lot of time and effort into taking care of myself and just so that I could function. I remember some very anxious phone calls and conversations with the staff in those early weeks before they all knew that I was pregnant. And a dear friend of mine though, who has always been a source of peace for me, and it's because of her strong faith, whenever I talk to her, she just has this ability to call me and to ask questions that, that just help me feel anchored again, right? And I hope that we can be that for each other in this community. But she reminded me to find my strength and my rest in the Lord. And it was a phrase that I often chanted to myself when worry or grief snuck up during those weeks. You know, and just like in our meditation earlier, the word of the Lord has the ability to calm the troubling waters within our minds, within our lives. And this is why we believe so strongly around here at Forefront in, in prayer and in meditation and the really powerful effect that it can have on us as a community as in, and as individual disciples. I had an app with about five to seven minute meditations that I would do almost daily to remind myself to stay anchored in my relationship and to trust in the Lord because I couldn't control the fate of my pregnancy, but I could do, I could take care of myself. I could control how my mind, body, and soul were responding to it, and I could put my trust in the Lord. And I think the question that the Bible, this Bible story begs of us this morning is, do you have that kind of faith when chaos happens in life? And how do you go about getting it? You know, the Lord never promised that we will never see a storm in life. In fact, he said just the opposite. John 16, is oddly comforting because it says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is probably what Jesus knew when he stood up in that boat and was like, guys, take heart. I got this, right? But I imagine for Jesus that one of the hardest things about doing his ministry must have been how deeply he knew and believed in the way of God and that it was the best way for a flourishing life, the best way for humanity to live. And yet, after all the hard work he did and, and giving so much, it must have been so heartbreaking that time and time and time again, he watched people reject him or, or fail to understand or just not get it. I think about the Sermon on the Mount how different would our world be if we could actually believe that loving our enemies is a better way to go? How much courage, how much restructuring of our world would it take for us to actually believe that the better choice is to love people and to embrace nonviolence rather than to build up our armies and create walls? I think that's why someone, when someone rare like Martin Luther King Jr. or Nelson Mandela comes along, we are just, we're in awe, right? It's that rare global leader who has the faith and the courage and the influence to peacefully change our world and expose the inhumanity that we show to each other on a daily basis. To have that kind of faith, not only when you're afraid, but when you're facing the threat of violence, oppression, or death, it's awe-inspiring. And I think of those disciples in that boat with Jesus that day, right? We don't know exactly which ones they were, but it is safe to assume that most of these men are gonna go on to be persecuted, even to the point of death as they build the church after Jesus' resurrection. 
they might be getting rebuked right now for having little faith, but they're gonna go on to be these great men of faith, these pillars of the church. And it's this great reminder for me to, to read a story like this and to understand that they were once where maybe we feel like we are and that we have just as much potential to be those people as well. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that we too, when we follow God, when we embrace the word, we too have the ability to calm others with our words, to order the chaos of our society around us. It's something that I've learned over the last five years as I've served this church that the more deeply rooted in scripture I am, the more active my prayer life, the more the word of God just kind of swells up and out of me and the more effective it is, or the more I can see the fruits of the spirit of God in my conversations and the prayers that I share with others. It's not me who's able to calm, but it's the presence of Jesus working through me. And I'm so grateful for that reminder this week as I face a personal season of change myself. It's this daily work that we do to build a relationship with our God that anchors us when the winds begin to blow. Like that image of a lake earlier, if we don't take the time to be still and to allow the waters to calm, we may never see clearly to the bottom to what's behind the chaos of our minds. So this week, in the midst of the summer fun and all the offers that you're getting to go out and be social and take advantage of all the really great things there are to do in the city, I wanna encourage us to simply take a few moments each day to sit in the practice of stillness and silence and embrace the calmness of being in the word and being in prayer with your Lord. To close this out today, I just wanna reference, <clears throat> or I wanna pray the prayer of anonymous groups like Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon because I think addicts are people who know more than anything what it's like to really rely on, on the Lord, to rely on a higher power every day, maybe even every hour, and to anchor yourself in those strong rhythms and um, practices that keep you strong and faith-filled. So I just wanna finish this out by, by praying this prayer of serenity and wisdom. You guys might know it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as Christ did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen.